When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was on top of my desk. I was the first one on top of my desk. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not coming down. Someone find the goddamn spider. This is bullshit. No, this is honor science. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do this. Get me down. We never found Rosie. That sounds illegal for him to have. It should have been. Only if you're a narc. The Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing Dune, so I'll ask about sandworms, deserts, and dragonfly helicopters. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two fascinating guests joining me today. My first guest is a Los Angeles-based comedian and writer. He's performed at festivals and colleges across the country, including Bumbershoot, Big Pine Comedy Festival, and the University of Connecticut. He's also been featured on Amazon's Coming to the Stage. Welcome to the show, Justin Clark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy that you are here, sir. And talking about Dune today, did you enjoy yourself in the Dune? That was a solid movie. It's a lot better than I was expecting. I don't know why. I you can't put Timothy and Disney character together in a movie and expect <laughs> me to think it's going to be good. But Zendaya, that girl knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, she's doing something right for sure. Uh, and we were talking briefly before the pod. We're in the similar a similar situation where we both didn't watch Dune until being required to for this podcast. And we both enjoyed it. I, I, I also was like surprised by how much I liked it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I should have gone. I should have ran and seen this in theaters. What's wrong with me? This is all a flick. And it was, I've also never seen the original. So I think, because Dennis Villanova, however you say his last name, he did the Blade Runner remake, which was like yes, a good movie in its own right. But the fact that Blade Runner was Blade Runner, I was like, well, this mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't. The original Blade Runner, so I don't like it as much. But not seeing uh, not seeing the original Dune was probably a better idea. Yeah, well, possibly, but I don't know, and that's why we have another guest on the program who I assume is chomping at the bit here, salivating to nerd out about Blade Runner and Dune. Uh, he is a writer and science communicator for Seeker, and if you're a gamer, if you're a gamer, you know him from his work on Nvidia GeForce. Uh, but to me, he's a brilliant guy who's always down to goof around. It's Julian Huguet. Hey, Ethan, how you doing, bud? I'm great. How are you, Julian? I'm excited to be back. I also didn't watch Dune when it came out for a long time, but I just, I thought it was like a really weird sequel to Spice World. Like, you know, the 1990s Spice Girls movie? And I was like, they went in a weird direction with this other one, and I just didn't get around to it. And then, turns out it's totally unrelated. That's the sequel we need, actually. That would do really well, I think. I, <laughs> it would spice up my life. <laughs> That's for sure. So, Julian, are you deeper into this Dune than we are? Like, have you read the book? Do you know all these all these aspects of it that maybe Justin and I would have missed? 
I, I'm a sci-fi nerd, but I will confess that actually reading the 1965 novel is something I haven't done yet. And it seemed mm. like this is just like uber nerd territory. Like the, the people I talk to who have read Dune are so obsessed with it. It was almost kind of intimidating. Mm. And then I watched the movie and I was like, I'm in it now. I want to know all about these like rival families and this galactic empire. And I'll just feed it into my brain. So I'm looking forward to picking it up now. Yeah, totally. I mean, to me, it does seem like now the kind of the the godfather of sci-fi movies. Like, it seems like Star Wars pulled a bunch of stuff from Dune, and yet we've had, like, I think we're at 9,400 Star Wars movies. Yeah, I I almost feel for, like, Dune OG nerds who are going to watch this and, like, hear criticisms from people who don't know better who are like, oh, man, all these plot lines are lifted from Star Wars. And it's like, no, no, it's (laughs) other way around, probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, so so you saw it then for the first time recently or for this pod? Yeah, specifically for this pod when you wow. guys were like, you want to talk about Dune? I was like, I guess, but I don't know what, you know, Scary Spice and Baby Spice, uh, the science behind them, really. So I'll do what I can. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It seems like the, the both of you did as well, correct? I mean, we're mm-hmm. all on the same page here. We, we approve of Dune. Yeah, so and good. I, Can't wait for part two. When is it supposed to come out? Do we know? Ooh. I don't know. I'll do some quick research here. I mean, my assistant. 2023, it says, uh, I don't know when in 2023, but we probably just have to wait about a year. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I really thought it was awesome. I, I feel bad. I feel like it would have been really awesome in the theater. So, you know, if you guys get a chance to do that, or, or I guess for the second one, let's all line up and see it together. That'll be really fun. Ooh, that'd be fun. Um, so before we jump into like super science land, I wanted to see Justin, if you had any questions, I have a couple just about like Dune character or plot stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. So Timothy Chalamet's character is a lordling, essentially, uh, his dad, his family. So his dad is essentially a lord in the military of one of the big guys he's occupying, I assume one of the planets or territories gets called to Dune land. Essentially and his mom, his mom's, his mom's a space witch who has, who has like ulterior, ulterior almost motives, but is also mom and is also, so that part was, but also King bad guy that we don't really see who's just directing Scross guards character around. Uh, mm. He so he. I guess my question is: He's threatened by. This is the guy pitching the movie to this. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is this is how I sold this. Uh, he's threatened by Timothy Chalamet's powers. Is that what this all of this was kind of about? Uh, no, I think the uh, Poe Dameron's family. Because now I can't remember uh, Oscar Isaac's name either. But um, they're they're growing in power and popularity, and the emperor is generally threatened. So, giving them control of Arrakis, this spice world, is inevitably going to lead to a war with the Harkonnen family, and they'll therefore both houses will be weakened, and the emperor's position will be secured. Yeah, that I think that's the overarching like family drama behind the scenes. It was it was a preemptive it was a preemptive power play essentially. Exactly. Exactly. 
my other question is the spice is essentially uh some kind of mineral that will direct you through that helps people travel through space or like avoids that was the spice what the spice does was my they mentioned it was something to do with space travel yeah it seems like it serves multiple purposes right yeah, the movie's pretty vague specifically about what it does, but apparently it gives whoever, you know, uses the spice these kind of like psychic visions of the future. And the reason that's essential for space travel in the books and in the movie is because like it's the it enables faster than light travel because it gives these navigators the ability to plot where they're going to end up when they come out of a wormhole, basically. Because otherwise it is, the possibilities are too complex and they won't be able to accurately know where they're going to go. Oh, that's actually kind of fascinating. Okay. That's it, cool. Right? Isn't it cool? That's actually pretty cool. This just in Dune, actually pretty cool. Turns out, uh, all right. Put great, that on the box. Great podcast. See you guys next time. <laughs> you should have done that at the, should have done Dude, that on the trailer. Pretty cool. I'd say. Pretty it, yeah. cool. Actually, actually pretty cool. And Oscar Isaac's character is named Leto, I believe. Oh, that's right. Or, or Leto. Which I can't believe they didn't get Jared Leto for it just because it feels thank like God. a missed opportunity. Think, oh, would have been easier on all of us. <laughs> it would, yeah. We would have just called no, it, it Oscar Isaac. a Blade Runner sequel. Um, Oscar Isaac from South Florida, just like me, and was in a ska band. So the the year is uh, 10,191 in this film. And some some... In some ways, that totally made sense to me as far as like, you know, traveling from planet to planet. I was like, okay, checks out 10,191. And then in other ways, we had like kind of some basic or, you know, mechanical stuff like the helicopter, for example, which was extraordinarily strange. The dragon, are we talking about the dragonfly stuff? Ornithopter, I believe it's called, which is like a dragonfly helicopter. If you haven't seen it, it does have blades like a helicopter. They don't spin. They kind of vibrate up and down like wings. And they are like not impervious to sand. And the planet's made of sand. It's a desert planet. And so I did think it was weird that they were like, machines don't do well in the sand. And I was like, yeah, but year 10,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have that it's, it's also ironed out yet it's also a planet your entire existence is the kind of dependent on with the despite needing the spice you would think you would start building things around what get around that planet yeah i don't know some sort of magnetized thing that sucks out the sand i don't know i'm, I'm not they have that advanced. force fields right you can't like have a bubble around the the ornithopter or whatever no right no Sand still gums up the works. Still a good reason for Anakin to hate it. We haven't <laughs> solved the issue of sand yet. 8,000 years in the future. This yeah. book was written in the 50s. The book was written in the 50s. Is this, do we know when this book was written? came out in 1965. 65. So this was before the war. This was before like the, the Afghan-Russian Civil War and everything. So this isn't like an analogy of like oil. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Uh, it is a commentary on planetary uh, like environmental changes and destruction because apparently the author was living in Oregon and uh, in Oregon there are these the these shifting dunes that you know they've always been moving around right 
And they, once people build, you know, cities and towns and stuff, though, as the dunes move around, they threaten these towns. So the people who live there were trying to figure out, since like the 1800s, people in Oregon have like trying to basically get these dunes to settle down. And the plan they came up with was like planting this European like beach grass, basically. And so he was living in Oregon when these projects to plant this grass and lock the dunes in place was underway. And he just thought it was really interesting that like humans or any sort of species would try and engineer their environment that way. And it was also at the time when the space race was just heating up and we had basically sent the first probe to um, Venus in 62. Two Mariner 2, and the images it sent back from Venus totally changed what we actually thought about the planet. We used to think it was like kind of a like a paradise, like forest Earth, like an Endor kind of thing. And when Mariner 2 went by it and took images of it, it was like, oh my god, this place is a nightmare. Like, it's crazy hot, the atmosphere is toxic. Like, what is with these scary, dangerous other planets? And so he kind of took those ideas and put them together into Dune. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's probably so just wild to think about seeing planets for the first time, like up close, what they're actually like, and probably so scary of like, oh, no, we don't have a chance anywhere else. We're still kind of figuring that out today. It really upsets me that they're still trying to convince us that we're going to move to Mars and all is going to be chill. The things they talk about on other planets, like Jupiter's got a tornado or something that's the size of Earth that just goes around the planet constantly. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Just bed there centuries, yeah. Rains diamonds on Neptune, I think. I I also saw it as like, yeah, a parallel of just like how countries treat each other as far as these planets, you know, uh, nations going from planet to planet kind of taking over. Um, But I want it, I, I have to circle back fly back to this copter i'm I'm very curious julian what your thoughts are on the plausibility the physics does that check out to you could we one day have these copters so what's really interesting about the movie's depiction of the ornithopters is it really goes in a unique direction that i don't think a lot of people who read the books might have considered because the books just describes the ornithopters of having flapping wings right And, uh, you know, I think most people would go with like the route of a bird or something like that. Uh, But these dragonfly-esque ornithopters are so cool. And then it makes you think about like how do insects fly? Because the way insects generate lift is totally different from how we at a larger scale fly with either aircraft or, you know, like jets or helicopters or things like that. And uh, famously, there's a quote a total misunderstanding of research that's like basically when scientists were looking into it and they declared that like bees don't fly the same way the planes do somehow that got garbled in translation and the media's message was like scientists declare that bees can't fly which obviously <laughs> is not the case like we know they can fly it's all an illusion, but Michael. the way they generate they're not even real (laughs) Uh, but the way that they generate lift is because the the way their flexible wings beat basically is they you know flap forward and rotate as they flap and then the same way going backwards and this generates vortexes at the leading edge of the wing that basically generates lift and, and brings the insect up but 
you need these like special wing structures and this really complex movement that like would be super difficult for us to engineer mechanically at a larger scale. So it's really cool that like these future things can do it because then it enables special ways that insects fly. Like, you know, dragonflies can fly backwards, same way a helicopter can, but like Mm -hmm. they can do all these really nimble movements. Hummingbirds also, uh, they're the only bird that can fly backwards. And they, uh, bird wings, though, in general, right, work in a similar way by, like, generating these vortex, but not exactly the same as uh, an insect's wing. So it's cool that the the movie had this vision of these ornithopters like dragonflies. But from an engineering standpoint, it would be needlessly complex when you could get, like, basically a rotating wing, which is a helicopter's rotor, and just get a lot of the same benefits. (laughs) The amount of WD-40 you would need just in that ball bearing joint. That's all I could think about. I was just like, the amount, we're in It would be the second most valuable resource. We're in a spice. desert. Yeah, absolutely. The amount of oil you need just to keep that thing going, not even get yeah. with gas. I was just like, just to keep those moving parts lubricant. I was like, well, this is insane. And there's sand getting in there. I've out, I've, I'm, out, I'm out of this premise. You've lost me. I call BS. I kind of just geek out over futuristic vehicles, period. So anytime there was a new vehicle in the movie, I was like, yep, let's see more of this. How does this work? Love it. Uh, and, the, and the helicopter, or the ornithopter, I should say, uh, captured my, my attention for sure. And, and at the same time, I was like, but also, why so primitive? Why can't we? It's not that different than a helicopter, which seems like 8,000 years later, I don't know why we would still be doing this. Um, but I did love it. And I thought it was really cool. And I loved how the wings could also go back and you could yeah. basically go into like dive mode, the like dive suicide mo- the mode. The dive mode was cool. I would say like, I was like, yeah, yeah. this is all right. The, there have been, uh, you know, like fighter jets and, and some military bombers and stuff that have like wings that can increase the sweep angle the faster that you F-14s. travel. Yes, exactly. F-14s, B-1 bombers. There's a lot of Russian, like Soviet era jets that can do it too. But you don't see them now because the when you sweep the wing back, it's like a, a good way of reducing the airplane's drag. But it also changes like, you know, the center of lift in the plane. And it's a total pain in the ass to make like that kind of air framework so now we're just really good at designing wings and you know flight control systems that that you can have a solid wing it's just easier that way but uh looks cool in sci-fi yeah that's for sure um so what about i mean we have to talk about the sandworm obviously it might have been my favorite part of the movie uh i don't even know how to describe this thing it's just absolutely humongous First of all, I don't know. They didn't really relate it to anything else. I don't know if they said. Did did they say? Do you know? They in the little like exposition, you know, holograph uh, bit. They describe them as being up to four hundred meters long, so four football fields basically. Yeah, that seems about right. If anything, yeah, uh, it seems bigger just in the way that it's moving across the desert. Um, but I did want to get your thoughts on how it related to any sort of. Uh, animal that we have today as far as being attracted to rhythmic noises or the way that its teeth worked i thought that was really fascinating how it had these like long strands of teeth basically yeah well you know when you start imagining um like extraterrestrial biology right there's there's so many interesting ways like shapes they can take um, but a worm is a solid bet. You know, we're very familiar with worms. Uh, I was reading actually to, to be ready to talk here on this podcast, a guy who's like a nematode expert talking about why he loves the worms in Dune. 
And um, nematodes, he, he drew a lot of parallels because, like, they can have all these different um, mouth kind of configurations depending on their environment. And depending on their environment, the same worm species can develop, like, different mouths. Like, if it's in a place where, like, there's a lot of other nematodes it could eat, it might have, like, a tooth for, like, to attack. But if it's in another place that, like, it might be eating smaller, like, things are, like, sifting through the soil, it can have more of, like, a kind of filtered mouth, I think uh, the guy was saying. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. The uh, sandworms, though, are so massive, right? Like, 400 meters in length. To, for comparison's sake, a blue whale, the largest animal on Earth today, is, like, 30 meters in length so we're talking yeah we're talking like at least 10 times bigger for a sandworm here which is nuts but then at those scales like you start to hit issues like um just the the sandworm crushing itself you know under its own weight like the reason sea animals can get so large is because the water supports the weight of their body and then when they get beached unfortunately they die because they crush themselves to death. They're just too heavy for their frames to support. So you can imagine a 400 meter long sandworm having this issue, especially because worms are also like invertebrates. You know, they don't have backbones and skeletons to support that, that their body. So if you just scale them up, you get like, I, it wouldn't work. That's why you don't see giant insects today. You know, that their, their skeletal, exoskeletal structures just can't support them. But um, oh they're really important part of the Dune universe, but this is starting to get into, like, spoiler territory for what's going Uh-oh. to be part two of the movie. So I don't Do think we should spoil talk me, about boy. it. But they are an important part of their environment. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you compared it to the whale in water because I also thought about that when the sand, they were in the sand, um, Josh Brolin's character and, and, um, and uh, Paul... Uh, and their hands were in it, and the worm was coming, and the vibration kind of made the sand act like water. And so then I was, you know, and then I was like, oh, okay, now I'm kind of seeing how this worm easily, you know, makes its way through the desert. Oh, and if you want to talk about, um, you know, animals that hunt based on rhythmic vibrations and stuff, I mean, that's completely a thing. Like, spiders know something's in their web because of, like, a telltale vibration right like that an insect that's trapped has because a lot of spiders you know they have eight eyes but they don't necessarily have fantastic vision but an interesting um issue that arises then is you get some spider predators like other spiders there's a jumping spider called the porsche spider that hunts different spiders and other jumping spiders and uh if it can't jump to it or like trap it in some way what they'll do is they'll walk up to the edge of the web because jumping spiders have great eyesight and they'll, they'll put their legs in the web and they'll pluck at the strings in the pattern of a struggling insect. And they'll draw the spider that made the web over and then they'll pounce. Spiders are fucked up. Damn. Man. They're so cool. I actually just got a pet jumping spider uh, this week. Oh my lord. Okay. So, you, they're so we, cool. I, we so cool. have different pets. My 7th and 8th grade science teacher had a, had a rosehair tarantula not defanged as like the class thing and we walked into class one day and some chick goes mr winston where's rosie and we looked i was on top of my desk i was the first one on top of my desk and i was like i'm not i'm not coming down someone find the goddamn spider this is bullshit no this is honor science (laughs) i'm not supposed to do this get me down 
We never found Rosie. That sounds illegal for him to have. It should have been. He was, he was I will say, Mr. Winston, right? Mr. Winston was solid. Only if you're a narc. Later that year, like six <laughs> months, like six Sorry. months later, we're like in the hallway doing like group projects or something like that. And we were like down by one of the doors and someone just like, it's like, there's a tarantula outside, like at the door, Seattle. We, we there's no, we don't have, <laughs> we don't have tarantulas just walking around Seattle. And so like Winston, Mr. Winston like ran out with his spider glove, like a, <laughs> and it wasn't Rosie. It was just some other tarantula. A different one? Yeah. <laughs> that, wow. that some kid down it the street Rosie's had lost. Spawn. <laughs> I was like, what are the odds? Get me out of here. Yeah, that's when you transfer schools. I, I, I have a few more. I really, I got to get to this stuff because I was like so, I was enraptured by this. Uh, first of all, I'm all about trying to heal my body. I'm in my 30s, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. And when I get an injury nowadays, it just hangs out with me. It doesn't go anywhere. It's forever now. Yeah, it's a forever injury now. So in the movie, this guy, the the uh, evil character, oh man, what is his name? I have his name here somewhere. Vladimir. Vladimir is healing in this like tub of oil. Yeah. Uh and 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 I've seen stuff like that in Star Wars too. Not calling anybody out, but <laughs> what? Uh, I think that's just a common thing. And so uh, you know, I feel like the closest thing that we have right now is like an ice bath. And I was curious, Julian, if this you know, if there's some sort of like comparison that's like high tech or like for the fancy people that I don't know about that does heal us, or if there's something on the horizon that we're working on that might heal us in the future. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, so I didn't uh, I didn't actually prepare for this interview with any research on, like, that regenerative goo stuff. I thought we were going to talk about maybe wormholes, so I did a lot of reading on how those might work according to, like, general relativity. But I'll take a crack at this. Uh, off the top of my head... The only thing I can really consider that exists today is probably the use of like uh, stem cell therapies, like regenerative therapies. And uh, the idea is you take some cells that uh, haven't figured out what they want to be yet when they grow up. So uh, they can specialize, they can differentiate into many different types of cells, right? Like it can become a heart cell or a liver cell or skin or whatever. Uh, and you can use these to repair damaged tissue, you know, um, we're using them for like treating burns or like heart disease. Uh, my dad actually had a surgery, his knee, uh, he had some, some stem cells injected into it and it apparently actually helped his knee heal. So the thing about stem cells is there's a few different types. You can have either uh, pluripotent or multipotent. So pluripotent are the most versatile they can become way more different specialized cells. Uh, and then multipotent can only become a few different types of cells. And pluripotent cells, uh, one place that you can find them is with embryos, like human embryos. So these are, you know, developing uh, embryos and they're only, you can only get them like when they're three to five days old. So pretty, pretty early in the human development process. And even then, the uh, blastocyst, as it's called, only makes about a, only has about 150 uh, pluripotent stem cells to uh, to make use of. So this is 
obviously a controversial subject. So there's been research in how to make other cells, possibly from adults, into pluripotent as opposed to multipotent cells, and so you can get a lot of those same benefits. Uh, last thing I remember in 2014, there was a big breakthrough in turning adult stem cells into pluripotent cells that could then be used. Uh, I think it's still something they're testing because there's issues about possibly like the durability of these cells or like if they were maybe damaged uh, from like, you know, toxins in the environment that uh, the adults that they were harvested from may have been exposed to, that sort of thing. Uh, there's also uh, a field where they are taking cells that are developing, like stem cells, and um, pulling out the nucleus of that cell and then putting in the nucleus from a cell from the intended recipient. So they can still develop as you know pluripotent stem cells. And then when you actually use them in regenerative therapy, uh, the person's body, the patient's body is less likely to reject them. But that's an ongoing field of research. So yeah, if I had to guess, it's probably some sort of bath, like, you know, regenerative cells that will fix whatever tissue was damaged by that, you know, poisonous gas that uh, the Baron might have inhaled. Um, okay, so the other one I wanted to actually mention was the there, there were there were two parts. There was one that was a light that follows you. There was like a floating light that I thought was awesome and so convenient and cool. Um, and then the other one was the the checking the vitals by hand. Is that just you think like super magic stuff, or is there actually a way to like tell how somebody's doing by you know pressing on certain pressure points or something the the whole vital sign you know it, aside from like the pulse and things that you can just determine obviously by touch right like the just touching somebody and being like oh you you've got your cholesterol's a little high let's work on that uh that's that's pure sci-fi you know I mean, there's like scanning technologies and stuff that maybe in the future could be miniaturized or something. But um, it looks like the explanation in Dune is very much like there's some psychic goings on that we'll just kind of use to fill in some whatever the plot may call for. The shield was interesting as well. Again, that's if the military could develop, you know, like personal sci-fi shields. Oh, man, they'd be just dumping money into it. Uh, which is funny because in the in the movie, you know, I assume that's why we've necessitated sword fights again because like the shields only let slow moving objects go through. Uh, so like if you tried to shoot somebody, I guess it would just flat out reject the bullet. Just no. But like a dart got in there. That was like the things that could get in. I was like, all right, this is blocking. This is blocking swords and shit. But this guy just hits you in the back with a dart, and it got in. Or like yeah, the things what that could get if the dart if the dart's going slow enough, right? Okay. Like the dart gets there and then it slows it like down or like to penetrate the shield. Yeah, and I have no idea. Like so they never really that, explained like, what the shield, how it stops things, because it looked like every time something it would like vibrate, it would just go. It's like all right, what is is this a fly trap? Yeah. What is happening? That's another a, a, just a sci-fi kind of imagination thing. I years and years and years ago, I was doing a um i was writing some youtube episode about like okay if we were to make some sort of personal shield out of like let's say a magnetic field or something like what would that look like and it turns out to deflect like a bullet uh it would need to be an insanely powerful personal magnetic field to the point i think it would cause like health issues for you internally like you wouldn't want to be near it 
And and then on top of that, like, what if the projectile coming at you isn't magnetic? You know, if it's like ceramic or something like that in nature, then it, then you're fancy, super powerful. Yeah, it's just who cares, right? Um, so I think this idea of just anything that stops a uh, any sort of projectile, you know, and it doesn't matter like the makeup of it, that that's sci-fi because you've got to ask like, okay, like what exactly is the principle this field is operating on? If it's magnetic, then the thing that's penetrating the shield or that it's stopping has to be react to magnetic fields. And if it doesn't, like it's useless, you know, that sort of thing. So to just stop any sort of matter like that, it's that's like, uh, it's, it's just kind of the catch-all sci-fi, like ooh, force field. Okay, cool. We've stopped it. Neat. Yeah. All right. I, I got, I got two quick ones for you. I know we're running low on time. You can, you can try to answer them both. You can pick one. This is up to Let's you, Julian. This is, this is a nice fun Lightning game round. for you. Yeah, exactly. So number one, I wanted to ask about the, earpiece that's not in their ear the earpiece that's behind their ear i was curious uh, about that because to me it sounds like if i can talk or listen to anything and not have it actually in my ear that sounds great and then two the steel suit recycling our own sweat and then immediately drinking it how can i do that that sounds cool okay i'm gonna try and uh actually tackle both of these so let's start with that that little in ear behind the ear radio right the thing that comes to mind for me if i had to guess would be something akin to like the the cochlear implants that uh we actually have today uh these are useful for people who are hard of hearing uh and what they are basically is it's just like a strand of electrodes that's inserted into a person's cochlea that's the the spiral structure inside their ear uh and these electrodes can stimulate you know certain nerves associated with frequencies that you hear you know if, if you were stimulated by sound waves hitting your ear uh, it would vibrate your eardrum and eventually you know your cochlea these specific nerves at different frequencies would fire off and so we can right now sort of replicate that to a degree with these implants so i imagine you know in the future these might be much more fine-tuned to to actually transmit like really high definition you know high clarity audio and then you could couple that with just like a transmitter and receiver and basically have a super fancy involved walkie-talkie implant <laughs> and the the still suit is also uh something that's not that far-fetched at all because you know astronauts aboard the iss obviously it's important that they retain as much water as possible or you know like uh, sailors on submarines, right? Like you've got a limited supply of this water and like, how do you maximize what you have? And so the ISS famously has plenty of filtration systems that collect astronaut urine and stuff like that, clean it. And then it gets just reintroduced right into the drinking supply. So they kind of make wow. a, a joke of it in Dune, right? Like, ah, ha, ha, you're like basically drinking your piss. But it's like, you know, if you want to basically do space travel, like that's going to be a reality you deal with already. So it's just like wicking it off of your body and processing it and then feeding it back into your mouth. Like, how did that, what, how did it get, that's what I was like, I don't, I kind of want to know and I don't want to know. I was like, is there, is there, is there an urethra tube in this suit that just goes, that just fits right in? I was like, <laughs> what is, how is it getting back in there? Yeah. Because I don't see anything. I don't see a tube. Yeah, that's why the judge was so impressed when she was like, oh, have you worn one of these before? And, you know, Timothy Chalamet is like, no, I just already know how to use a catheter. Like, <laughs> um, OK, well, I, I as always, thank you, Julian, for helping us out. Uh, thank you for guiding us through this uh, epic desert uh, 
story. Uh, and thank you, Justin, for joining us uh, for the first Thanks time. And uh, and Justin, if there's anything you want to tell people about now, now is the time. Let us know. No, I'm, this was this was great. Thanks for listening. I uh, I never I wanted to, the one question I had was how does their eyes turn blue? Do we have anything like spice that lets our eyes change colors? And yeah, the uh, actually the the makeup artists on uh, Dune they had these uh, like colored contact lenses that you can yeah, just put that in was, and then. That was Easy. It. There's no. <laughs> and they're made of spice. Yep, and they're made. Uh, and Julian, anything you want to tell people about? Uh, yeah. Uh, once again, you know, this, uh, the Good, Bad, and the Science podcast is part of, you know, Seekers Podcast Network. And we have a Seeker Plus podcast as well uh, that I'm hosting. We actually just did an episode on Venus and how, like, sci-fi concepts of it change so much and why the planet is such a nightmare and it would be like so so difficult to try and terraform and make it a livable a livable place so uh if you're curious about like ecosystems on other planets and how our understanding of them has changed uh check out seeker plus because that episode should be coming out soon hell yeah okay awesome uh and justin benny you want people to follow you on facebook yeah, but Facebook, let's do it. I've been on there since 2006, uh, back when it was the old elitist Facebook where you needed a four-year college email. Um, uh, no, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, it's all the same. It's Justin H. Clark, uh, very ethnic name. Um, but yeah, follow for just vibrant and positive tweets. Awesome. But yeah, thanks for having me. This oh, was this a blast. And uh, I got any every sci-fi movie should come with a scientist at the end where it's just like... Yeah, it's, so good. Just why we, you just have ten questions every time. No, I, that's, that's why we do it. That's that's our mission here is to ruin the movie and maybe educate some people a little bit, but mostly myself. Just to uh, it, figure to out it, how to heal my ankle. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, I thank you both. Thank you guys for listening as well, and we will see you next time. Bye. Hey, thanks for having me, guys.